It's good I had a few feet to walk from there to here to compose myself just a little bit after that song. Um, it is my privilege to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning, Pete Mitchell, who is with MTW Mission to the World there in France. Uh, those of you who were here the last hour uh, during our uh, Sunday school time here in the sanctuary at a special time of hearing from both Pete and his wife Ruth here, uh, about their work, but really the Lord's work uh, in and through them there in, uh, there in France. Um, uh, those of you who are not familiar with MTW, Mission to the World, that is one of our denominational agencies, the denomination of which we were a part of, the Presbyterian Church in America. MTW is part of the global arm there, and these two are serving uh, amidst, uh, in the, with a, in tandem, I should say, in tandem with a, a larger team uh, they're in Toulouse, France, and it is so good to have you here uh, for the second hour. So, Pete, come on up here. Words of blessings upon you, my friend. Yeah. Well, this morning, I think this is my second visit, Ruth's first visit, so we are uh, really pri feel privileged to, to be able to share with you a little bit about what God's doing in Toulouse, and if you'd like to chat with us some more about that, afterwards we have a table out in the uh, the entryway, the, the welcome area, and uh, explains a bit about our ministry. We are very thankful for your church uh, taking us on and praying for us, partnering with us. It's a, we hope it would be a partnership or an exchange of uh, communication by email or by Skype or, or even uh, you're sending your, your uh, college students over or your children over or come to visit us. We want it to be a true partnership, a real exchange. This morning, I'm going to read from Romans chapter 5, and before I read the scripture, I'd like to pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you that your word is powerful and sharp, uh, like a two-edged sword, and it, it cuts between uh, all the different thoughts and, and intentions and, and uh, where we are. And we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, uh, your, your word would speak to us and that we would be changed, that we would be transformed by it. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, you would Help us to apply this scripture to our, our hearts and lives. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Romans chapter 5, uh, just the first um, 11 verses. This is such a beautiful passage of scripture, such a powerful passage. As I've meditated on it and read it out loud, it just uh, rings forth. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So far, the reading of God's word, let's meditate a little bit about it. Um, I've noticed that uh, I'm from Nashville, and uh, recently we were uh, visiting Nashville with some cousins from Australia, and um, I had, we had lived in Nashville for several years in Franklin, Brentwood area, and uh, we just never went to the, the typical places that people go, like, uh, like the um, Ryman Auditorium. But because we had family visiting from far away, we wanted to show them the sights. So we went to the Ryman, we went to different places like Radnor Lake, you know, places that I, they were old haunts of mine as a youth. And it's, it's funny how living in a town, you can start to take, take for granted the things that are so beautiful there. And, and it's only when someone comes to visit or when you're away for a long time that you, you wake up to the fact, oh, wow, I live in this beautiful place and there's this wonderful sight to see. And here, here it is that, you know, that I've neglected it all this time. And I think we can do that with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can kind of get into a routine, get into a habit of going through the motions, and we forget that there's amazing in the grace that we sing. Or uh, when, we, when we sing about his amazing love, and can it be that Christ would die for me? It's amazing. It's not just simply uh, sort of ordinary or common. And uh, so that that can kind of be manifested in my life when I become uh, thankless or joyless or restless or discontent or I begin to worry. Uh, it's often because I'm taking for granted all these wonderful things that Christ has done for me. And so, you know, even as, as uh, Americans living abroad, we, we see that when we come back and we see the wonderful things about uh, being within uh, a larger community of faith, and we wake up to the, the fact that, hey, you know, this is really something super that God has done for us. So what's so great about being a Christian after all? Since that's my argument this morning is that it's not just something ordinary, but it's something amazing. It's something supernatural. Well, uh, the main idea of my sermon this morning is that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, and we have that right relationship with God by faith. And this is stated by the, the Apostle Paul in verse 1. He says it in the past tense, but it has a continual reality. He says, we were made right and we are right with God right now by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this is a transformed relationship. It's not something that we worked up or that we were able to transform ourselves, but it was done by God for us. And it's not something that we merited in some way. Like uh, my daughter, who's a Covenant College student, uh, she applies for uh, a scholarship. Usually those are uh, merit-based. So she needs to prove that she has... Uh, high competency in French or something, or she's really sharp in math, and then they would give her a little help, a little push in terms of the finances. But, you know, oftentimes uh, it's, it's the need-based scholarships that, that we're looking for because we don't, uh, we don't always merit a whole lot. And in, in, our, in our Christian faith, it's just that. It's not merit-based that we would be justified, but it's need-based. 
So we're justified by God as a free gift at the very moment when our relationship was the most broken. And I, and I experienced that in my personal life as a teenager. Uh, I, I certainly put my faith in Christ as a young child, and, and I had faith. But it wasn't until uh, in my teenage years that I realized I was at the end of my rope. I was at the end of myself. And I had always gone to my parents and always to my siblings for answers, kind of like uh, coming in on their coat, coattails. And it was in those teenage years that I came to an awareness that I had to make a personal uh, commitment to Christ. And it was when I was the most weak and the most um, lost that that's when Christ broke in and grabbed a hold of my life. So when we were his enemies, when we were rebellious children, that's when God chose you. You see this clearly in verse 6, in verse 9, and in verse 10, when it, where it stated that we were ungodly sinners, and even enemies of God. So this new relationship was, was not simply uh, decreed or proclaimed, uh, like, like you might think a president would make a proclamation, or somehow, uh, you know, at, at Thanksgiving, he, he decides to take a turkey and say, okay, this one I'm not going to kill, okay? He has been pardoned. It's not like that. It's not something that just words in the air, you know, that you kind of go, why that bird and not another one? You know, uh, this is Jesus Christ who actually came and gave his life for us. It was like a, pay, a debt he paid off. I don't know if money speaks to you, but it does to me. When I have a debt and someone pays it off, that's a big deal. And Christ did that with his own blood. It was completed in time and in history when Jesus became my substitute, your substitute on the cross. Jesus, the innocent son of God, died for my sins and for your sins took my place. And so he became the substitute for anyone who would put their faith in him, in Jesus. And from that flows what I'd like to share with you this morning, just briefly, these six points. So from that spiritual reality of what Christ has done and offers us flows the real life, uh, the full life that, that uh, he wants for us to have. The first point is full peace with God, the second, full access to God, the, the third, full joy in the knowledge of God, full strength, endurance in his sufferings, full character as we become more like Christ, and full love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's a lot to take on, but here we go. So the first one, full peace with God. What does Paul mean by peace with God? This is true spirituality, true communion, this, is, this idea is also expressed in the Hebrew word shalom, which is, really means life as it should be, as it was meant to be, full life. Not just the absence of war or the correction of a broken relationship, but it's, it's much more than that. It's the full life. And this kind of peace is, is uh, much more than just a tolerance or accommodation saying, okay, relativism, you know, you're like that, I'm like this, and I'll just accept you the way you are. Uh, it's not that. It, this, this is a spiritual knowledge that goes beyond human understanding. When you think of peace, Jesus came at Bethlehem to bring peace, but it was kind of a strange peace in that uh, babies were murdered because he came into the world, uh, and mothers were crying for their babies that were no more, and they had to flee their country 
because of persecution. They were exiled, Jesus and his family. So his peace was a peace that was rather disturbing, uh, and it didn't leave uh, the religious people unmoved. And in fact, Jesus changed. Uh, you think of what, what is Judaism, Sabbath and, and, uh, and food customs, you know, in terms of what you can eat and what you can't eat. Those are a couple of big things. And Jesus went head on on both of those subjects and said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And he said, all that, that uh, comes into the body doesn't make you impure. It's what comes out of the heart that makes you impure. So Jesus, he, he, he was at, uh, a peacemaker, but it was disturbing to the, to the order of his day. And it was also liberating. And that's what we'd like to emphasize perhaps more, is that peace with God breaks down walls. And uh, that wall of separation between the Jew and the non-Jew or Gentile, that wall is broken down. And that is such a beautiful thing that we're all, all that have faith in Jesus Christ are equals. Whatever race or whether, whether we're a man or a woman, whatever background we come from, rich or poor, uh, we have peace with God and that gives us brotherhood. So it brings me to my second point. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have full access to God. So in order to grasp the marvelousness of this idea of full access to God, we need to understand the distance that our sins have caused uh, between us and God. God, being perfectly holy, is not the author of sin, nor can he permit anything unholy to approach him. That is why God gave specific orders to Moses to fashion a tent of meeting that would symbolize this spiritual reality. God's Shekinah glory, or the cloud, would descend upon the tent when he spoke face to face with Moses. Later, that tent would be replaced by the temple in Jerusalem. And in, we know the temple had different parts and different sections, the holy of holies, the, the holy place, and also the courtyard, and then uh, the area where, where women could also approach, but even more distant. And so, um, a non-Jew could not even approach the temple courts. There was a wall, and later in, in the history of Judaism, they marked on the wall, any non-Jew that crosses this wall will be put to death. They were not given access. The Jews who wanted to commune with God had to follow strict guidelines, blood sacrifices to cover their sin, uh, like uh, blood covers, like it stains, so it covers over the sin, and it allows them to enter into the outer courts of the temple. And only the Levites could perform uh, the sacrifices and then enter into the various rooms and perform the different acts with the, the utensils that were there in the, in the temple. So the most holy place was separated by a thick curtain or a veil that was reserved uh, for the, that area was reserved for the Ark of the Covenant. This you know, is, is illustrated poorly in some movies, old movies, from, uh, you know, where, where you have Hollywood kind of making uh, this box into a power box. You know? um, but this is the place where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence in his glory would descend. What, what does this have to do with me today? You, you might be wondering, why is he describing all these places in the temple? Well, this very hour and this and, and day that Jesus Christ died on the cross, something happened. Eyewitnesses tell us in the Gospels that darkness fell over the whole land into the ninth hour while the sunlight failed and the curtain of the temple was 
torn in two. Matthew also tells us, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened. Often don't think about that. Dead people coming, coming out of the tombs when Jesus was, would, died on the cross. But what this means is that Christ gives us full access to God. We can go into that holy place and we can pray and talk with God even face to face as with a friend. There's no longer a thick veil between us and our God. There's no longer that wall with the inscription, anyone who crosses non-Jew will be, will be killed. The opening was made from the top to the bottom through the death of God's own son on the cross. So he initiated it from the top to us who are on earth here at the bottom. There's no longer a need for a, a tent or a meeting or a holy place because God has declared that our hearts have become his temple and he dwells in our hearts by faith. So we have full access to God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? We shouldn't take that for granted. We also have the third point that I found in this text, that we have full joy in the knowledge of God. Jesus Christ said that he came to give his disciples full joy, abundant joy, abundant life. When Jesus spoke to them of the importance of abiding in his love, in John 15, which he knew first in communion with God the Father, Jesus told them that this would result in keeping his commands and enjoying uh, complete joy. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, like a cup of water full and overflowing. We pray that for our mission work, that God would fill us up with his joy and his love, that it would overflow into the lives of others. So full joy comes from the knowledge of God's unconditional love for us. Full joy is experienced as we obey God, not begrudgingly like a slave or a servant, but freely, willingly, thankfully, like an adopted son or daughter of the king. So we've talked about peace, and we've talked about um, access or communion and prayer, and now we've talked about joy. We also have full strength. Uh, he doesn't leave us alone. He said he would be with us. He would keep uh, even to the end of the age. Jesus never promised us a life like a rose garden, constantly full of blooms and blessings without any troubles. Jesus told his disciples that they would be hated by the world, despised and persecuted. And he said that if you are my disciples, would you expect anything else? Uh, if, if the master is persecuted, would you expect anything else? And we learned through church history that each of Jesus' disciples were true witnesses, martyrs in the Greek word, they were convinced, so convinced, that they held to the very end. They kept the faith, even to imprisonment and death. Jesus said he would be with them even to the end of the age. And that promise is also true for each person here who's put his faith in Christ. I will be with you even to the end of the age. I will keep you in the faith, full strength. Well, the good news is that we have been given by Jesus Christ full strength to face sufferings and trials that will come into our lives. Some trials may, become, may come because of our own foolishness or stupidity. I'm thinking of myself, <laughs> making mistakes in uh, either my speech or uh, in my actions. I'm thinking of specific cases. 
uh, others simply because we are humans and live on, uh, on this earth in, uh, in a fallen place. And so uh, things happen just because we're on this earth. And, and, and oftentimes uh, we can face a trial that's not our, of our own making, but because of someone else, uh, their life impacting us or their, uh, their own sin or their own accident impacting us. So, but for God, nothing is, is a surprise. No trial comes as uh, kind of out of the blue for him. Uh, he knows and in his sovereignty permits them. He allows them to happen. And so logically, since God loves us and, has, and he intends for us to be saved through these trials, he will also give us uh, strength to be victorious in them. This is easy to say from a pulpit. It's much harder when you're in the midst of a trial, when you're in the midst of grief or in the midst of sickness that you don't see the end of it, or when you're trying to turn the corner in your life and you're still in the dark tunnel and you don't see the light at the end. It's easy for me to say that, but harder for you to see it. Uh, but by faith, that's what God calls us to do, is to have faith that he will be with us even to the end. So that's why, as Christians, we are promised full strength, physical, spiritual, and emotional strength to face sufferings, trials, and temptations that will come into our lives. Now, when I say temptations, I'm not saying God tempts us, but he allows us to be to go through something so that we will be stronger and come out victorious. In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, in verses 12 and 13, we have that promise that God is faithful not to allow us to be tested beyond our strength. But with each testing, with each temptation, same word in, in, in the original language, testing or temptation, he will give us the way of escape. There's always uh, a way out. In this room, there are at least two ways out. And God gives us a way out of temptation. Sometimes we need to choose before not to go there, not to be exposed to that temptation if we have that choice. But if we are exposed to it, he will show us the exit sign, like I'm seeing right there. So we have these promises and these benefits that Christ has bestowed upon us. And uh, we also have uh, the promise that he will develop a full character. He wants us to become mature in Christ. We want to be, he wants us to become more like him. And here we have the promise that God is not finished with us. We are a work in progress. I think everybody would agree that. I'm under construction. I'm not finished yet. Day by day, we're being fashioned, molded by the master potter uh, into the object, the person he's designed us for his own glory. And each experience we have at work or at school, at home, or in our communities where, where we live, he is wanting us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes it feels like we take a step forward and two steps back in our Christian life. But let that not discourage you. It was, there's not a promise that we will always have a continual growth toward Christian maturity. We may take a few steps back. And in that moment of recognizing where we are, in our, it, it's being honest, it's being humble, and saying, okay, yeah, I've, I really messed up there. I've, I've fallen back. And Christ will build in us and use that to strengthen you as you go forward. So sometimes this happens because we're, as we're approaching, uh, as, as we're growing in our life, we become more sensitive 
to God's holiness, and we become more aware of what Christ has done for us. Even as if, uh, if at the end of the building I could see a cross, uh, which was perhaps a, objectively maybe it was a, a six-foot cross, but from here it looks quite small at the end of the building. But as we approach, as you walk toward in your life, toward the end of your life, you become more and more amazed in awe of what Christ has done as you stand beneath this huge cross and you see your sin and you also see the grace that Christ has done for you. And so as we walk in our life, we may have that impression that I'm uh, really not making much progress, but that may be partly because you are getting closer to seeing that cross for how big it truly is and seeing yourself for how far you are from him. So this passage in Romans 5 should encourage us to re-engage ourselves joyfully and willingly in the process of our sanctification, becoming more holy, more like Jesus, not being holier than thou, but being more like Jesus. And uh, so that, that should push us on also in our love, because love is the kind of the culmination of, of uh, the Christian life and the, the, the mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So the theme of the full Christian life reaches its culmination here in the theme of unconditional and constant love of God, which is our possession. He offers this to us, and it's for us to open that gift. We know this is true because our Heavenly Father sends His own Son, His, his, own, his only one. We see and hear and feel it to be true in Jesus' life and in His teaching, and even more in His death and resurrection. And finally, we're given the proof of his love because the Spirit, the Comforter, inhabits the heart of every Christian and echoes and reminds you, yes, you are my son. Yes, you are my daughter. Yes, uh, you uh, you belong to me. And so day by day, we experience that filling up, that uh, taking control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, We've gone through rapidly these six points that are the benefits in, in, in many ways of faith in Jesus Christ, being justified by, by Christ. And there's even more good news. We could preach about this all afternoon. I won't, but uh, that there's even an extended warranty. How good is this for us? You, know, you think about you, you might have the manufacturer's warranty for a year, and, and sometimes things go wrong at the end, so you get the extended warranty. What, well, what does it cover? How much does it cover cost? What, is it worth it? Well, we are, not only uh, is he declaring us to be uh, righteous or being right with him, uh, we are saved by Christ's death. We who are now reconciled or made right by are saved into Christ's life. And so this right relationship that is established in the past in the, in the cross is, is made firm in the resurrection this present reality uh, of his, his perfect life on this earth and his, his innocent death also serves to motivate and empower us as we live uh, in, in the power of the resurrection, in that extended warranty, if you will, the rest of our lives as we walk with him. And it also gives us resources as we reflect on this to answer life's questions. And it, it, it perhaps a little unusual to end a sermon with a lot of questions, but uh, I think that it, these questions are probably true even in, in, uh, among us this morning. How do I face trials that threaten to sink my faith? Well, we've talked about that. 
we, we hear those objections to Christianity. We go to the Word of God. We know that He has is, he is finished His work for us. And when we're tempted to, to have doubts or questions, He shows us the way out, and the way to escape. He shows us answers, true answers, to those trials that threaten to sink our faith. How do we keep spiritual enthusiasm and fervor when, when uh, we, we don't have the feeling of being excited about our faith? Perhaps we feel like Christianity is a little boring. It, my life is boring. I want something more exciting. Um, so how do you keep that, that enthusiasm? Well, this scripture reminds us of the many benefits that we have. And as we reflect on them, as we sing them, and as we pray them, the Lord helps us to wake up out of our boredom. How do we face the future without fear? So many people are anxious about what the future may bring, whether, whether uh, their jobs they will be successful or whether in their studies they will be, uh, achieve the, the merit that they, they want to be able to get into the school that they want to get the job. How do, you, how do you deal with that anxiety? Well, the scriptures encourage us that I will be with you even to the end of the age. And, and through these different these different difficulties, these, instead of fearing, we need to trust. We need to put our trust in him. How do we find true and, and lasting joy? Well, it's in the gospel. It's in looking at, at his gracious gift, his amazing love for us, that we find joy. And I could go on. There's so many different questions that are answered by this passage. Uh, how can I be sure of my salvation? Look at what Christ has done. Where is my confidence? Is it in my merits? No, it's in Christ's merits. How do I understand my own motivations in the darker side of myself? How do I understand that? Well, Christ died for me to bring me into the light. And so all these questions that perhaps come in our, in our lives are, are really answered in this passage in a beautiful way. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do praise you for the fact of you're giving us this gift of faith and giving us this opportunity to, to walk in uh, day by day with you. And we do pray, Lord, that you would uh, meet the need of our hearts this morning. We lay before you uh, the temptation or the, the doubt or the, the difficulty that we're facing this morning. Help us to see your answers in Scripture. Help us to see your love and how amazing it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.